This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Hello and welcome to another UK Coaching Skill Acquisition Podcast. This podcast is part of a series exploring an ecological approach to understanding theories of learning and coaching. I'm delighted to be joined by another fabulous guest. So could you please introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit more about your coaching background? Thanks for inviting me, Marianne. Yeah, hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I'm Craig Morris. Uh, I spend a huge amount of my time sat next to a river. Um, used to be on a very messy river bank, but more often very polished concrete these days. Um, I coach the sport of canoe slalom, the Olympic sport of canoe slalom, and been privileged enough to participate in it since I've been a little little nipper, um, and coach right throughout the pathway. And yeah, currently, um, all things well, um, preparing athletes to um, on the journey towards Tokyo Olympics. Brilliant. Have you got a little fun fact about you that we can throw in there, other than that you've partaken of slalom? <laughs> <laughs> I have partaken. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far as calling myself an athlete. Um, <laughs> yeah, I probably... Uh, yeah, the fun fact, I don't know whether it's fun, but I used to hate canoeing. I used to really, yeah, I was a team sports guy. Um, but my parents, uh, having a five-year-old older brother, were quite constrained in where they could and couldn't take me. So I remember, yeah, fighting hard against uh, against going to weekends away when I wanted to be, you know, captain in the local football team and that. So ironic that I sit here now absolutely loving it and thoroughly passionate towards it. And it's become, yeah, both a career and a lifestyle. Wow. It's yeah, I think we've had a few conversations um, throughout UK coaching the last week or so about, you know, how old you need to be to do something and does it need to be your first love and can you still end up being passionate about a sport you hated? <laughs> so, brilliant. <laughs> so I guess my first question would be, how did you end up doing that? So how did you hear about it and why did you decide to give it a go? Brilliant, yeah. Well, I think firstly, important to preface with the fact that I'm very much in my pressure years of the ecological approach. Um, yeah, it's worth just casting back if you can afford me the opportunity, Marianne. So I was never really, it wasn't a great paddler. I was enthusiastic, but not a great paddler. I wasn't ever really coached. So when I started falling into coaching as it was then, and it was falling into it, not with intention, um, I had quite a blank canvas as to as to what what canoeing looked like, what development looked like, having never really had a, a steer from a peer or a, a guided steer from a coach. So one thing that was clear that was, to me, canoe slalom was an art form. Um, I didn't entertain any science back then. Um, and I was schooled by my brother around the beautiful artistic paddling of Gareth Marriott, for those who may have a little bit of canoeing background. Um, in fact, the muriel my brother painted to him is still on my parents' bedroom wall when I go back now, many many years later. Um, so I did almost come in, the one lens I did come into coaching with was one that I almost had been schooled to think it needed to look a certain way. Um, and of course, as I worked my way through the pathway, it became abundantly clear how hard it was to try and bring others to your lens of how it should look. Um, because individuals and, and the environment interactions aren't quite, I began to learn they're not quite as simple as that. Um, and, you know, despite in my past spending many, many hours doing flat water repetition drills um, and being somewhat happy, somewhat frustrated with transfer um, to the real world on the white water, um, 
I guess it was a journey of, yeah, mainly a long journey of frustration. So I've been coaching 15 years. I think there's been some heavy jolts amongst that. So I've always been intrigued by making practice fun. Um, been very person focused, but probably knew nothing about coaching really in reality. Didn't know anything about learning, learning about learning to move, any of that until probably the last five years. And I was, you know, on paper working at a very high level five years ago as well. So really interesting that how little I knew um, and how, how vulnerable I've become and how exciting that is. Um, but I was really looking for a solution to some frustrations around that learning space, around the realization that um, of what the sport was. I think about four years ago, I actually asked myself, what is canoe slalom in its pure essence in the performance setting? Um, so what are the you know, physical, skill, tactical demands, both in preparation for the event and in, in performance itself? Um, there's a lot of talk in our sport around delivery of the plan. And uh, a few colleagues have given me a jolt moment, one of which was Russell Earnshaw um, at a conference, asked a paddler I was working with at the time, um, what defines the best paddlers in the world? Is it their ability to deliver a plan or their ability to adapt within the performance? And that was quite a jolt moment on the, on the drive home for me um, because I was never quite satisfied with this concept of, of delivery of the plan and using a percentage scale. I thought it was always really hard to define and I wasn't sure what it meant for future practice. Um, so this concept of, yes, moving away from that into a more complex, adaptive, embraced system um, was one that was really intriguing to me and probably led through people interactions with the likes of, yeah, Rusty, um, Mike Chandler, Doug McDonald, Danny Newcomb, um, some of the key players. And I, I guess I started to become curious um, about could, could the game-based fun activities that I liked coaching, was there any actual empirical grounding in the reason <laughs> that I could sell them and do them more to others? Um, and yeah, that's, that's wound me up in... Yeah, non-linear, CLA, ecological dynamics. Um, yeah, and as we discussed recently, uh, trying to get my head around some of the language used in, in research uh, and trying to simplify that to put back into context in my coaching practice. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much in there. I mean, I've got, I've got like a page of things to, to play around with, but I, I'd actually like to ask you something um, around the last thing that you said. It's just, you know getting your head around that and and it's probably um a good time to ask you know what does that mean what does it mean to you you know if if if, if you were to say to somebody this is a non-linear pedagogy or this is you know i'm using an ecological approach and they went what does that mean what what would your your short answer be i know you've talked about yeah. facing complex complex um adaptive systems but yeah so if, because this is my best. <laughs> yeah, there's no right. Well, well, no, it's important, and I think there's a whole debate. Yeah, isn't yeah, yeah. The whole debate, Marianne, about like, yeah, trying to avoid the words pedagogy and trying to avoid these when you have these conversations. But actually, I'm a little bit anti that sort of movement because I think maybe people avoiding them with me didn't draw me into that space to become curious and research myself. So I, I will try and simplify it because I'm not an expert and I'm happy to be vulnerable and make mistakes. So. For me, it's just I'm intrigued by that sense that um, the individual and environment is interdependent and calibrating in real time. Um, 
yeah, kind of, whilst I'm not ecological dynamics and nothing else, you will find me operating, I'm sure, if you come and coach across what might be seen to be different pedagogies or different approaches to the coaching practice. Um, I do lean towards that style. And it's for me, it's about, I guess, first of all, a learner-led, self-organized um, approach. So trying to use the information available within the environment to manipulate that around uh, the person, um, the task and in the environment to try and allow it to talk and give feedback to the learner and to replace the sort of solution or directive approach of coaching. Um, I certainly used to feel like I had to leave a session or a set or reps um, feeling like they knew what the solution was. And I've really evolved away from that in terms of the session in itself can just be the catalyst um, for a process thereafter. But yeah, I guess trying to um, operate with skill around the task in particular in canoeing, I guess we've got a really rich environment um, that lends to this space, but so I'm not naive to that. It is really helpful in my learning. Um, yeah, manipulate task constraints that talks to and gives feedback to the learner so they have the freedom and creativity to self-organize within it. And then my job really, I guess, has moved away from perhaps offering solutions or trying to work with them to towards solutions to really... Um, really scaffolding the reflective piece and trying to get an insight behind their brain as to how they are seeing the picture and what information sources they are paying attention to. Um, and we'll maybe come on to how that looks to how it was different um, yeah. in the past. In the next one. Wow, brilliant. I, well, I think you did a brilliant job there. I've got, if I, if I just summarise some of the things that, that you've said, you talked about the individual and the environment being interdependent and operating in real time. So very much, you know, that moment, what's happening at that moment in time. Learner-led, self-organisation, um, and, and understanding that it's information in the environment that's being used and being able to manipulate constraints so that information maybe becomes more um, more apparent to the performer and they and they are getting feedback from from their interaction with the environment in real time rather than you as a coach and that your role yeah, I'm was supporting um, sense maybe off, off, oh sorry Marianne slight delay so apologies yeah. to interrupt but I'll maybe offer a little example of it from very recently so yeah brilliant very curious around the, the fact that any verbal or any interaction I have really is a constraint in itself yeah. And so I can direct their search space maybe too narrow um, into a filter that maybe doesn't allow them to explore other patterns of movements or self-organization. Um, and I certainly, from my own practice, am confident to say that that way is the way. Therefore, in doing that, I'm really on, often found to be apologizing if I have done that. I did it last week. Uh, and I'm happy to do that because it's it's like a co-created journey, this, for me. Um, that sense of, yeah, different environments. So I used to work, one of the catalysts that we didn't touch on for this stuff was I work with a paddler who was very much about um, the philosophy. I won't name them, but the philosophy was I will repeat it till I can't get it wrong, not till I can get it right. And I, I was fascinated by that in the handover. Um, and we kind of went on a journey together because what we probably didn't see is that that athlete was that adaptive to certain environments. So maybe they weren't feeling that confident 
on all venues in all of our environments, in all weathers, in all white water volumes. Um, and that was simply because they were trying to control a performance that wasn't representative of the race itself. You know, they were trying to guarantee an arrival at a sequence in a certain way that could be taken away from them by the course, course designer at any one point in time. And so this sense that I will deliver if the stars are aligned became a little bit of a like, wow, we can't operate like that, can we? No, okay. Uh, shall we go on this journey together and try and explore something a little bit different? And that really was a, a big a big sort of driver for me to explore this space. Okay. Um, I think that leads really nicely then for me to just ask a little bit more um, about, uh, maybe you give some examples about the type of things you changed in your coaching practice or, or the practice of structure, so practice structure, um, as you sort of explored uh, all things non-linear. <laughs> yeah, sure. Brilliant. Um, I guess the major change when I reflected on this question, Marianne, was, was one of consciousness. I know Stuart Armstrong talks about this a lot. And so I guess having asked myself what Canoe Slalom was, and then going into the work of Brunswick representative design and, and Newcomb and where, where Ren, Renshaw and David sit on that and coming up with that concept of representative learning design, just became aware of what I was doing, whether where it fitted in terms of pedagogy. You know, was it, is this practice nonlinear? Is it, is it representative of the demands of the performance? That sense of uh, yeah, risk of going into jargon again, the, that action fidelity where you've got the correlation between the real world of the performance setting and the one you're trying to simulate in practice. So I would say in the first instance, it didn't change my practice um, or our practice because we were definitely a co-created environment um, within our group, but made me more aware. Um, so to use an example of Stuart's, it's like if, and link it in with a Keith David's example as well, if I'm taking a slice of a pie, if the full pie is the race run, and I'm work, if I'm doing this today and that's only a small slice, am I aware of the sacrifice and is it worth it? And that's probably where I use the language, which I know other people do massively. Is it's always got to be a constraint to afford. So by affordance, so you are, I guess, creating some sort of boundary um, to the performance that will invite them with another opportunity for action. Um, so that's really been a conscious thing, really, has been like, where am I on the scale? What could we be doing? In terms of what that looks like in, in sessions, um, I guess, yeah, trying to be quiet more um, and design the practice so it talks, so they don't get any practice. The ability to do something once um, or twice, they'll only ever really need to do it twice in terms of a semi-final and final. Um, Obviously, as you go through the learning journey, some people need to be able to articulate back to themselves what was working and what wasn't working in a reflective space to be able to have confidence with approaching it thereafter. So my role has really shifted into, I guess, critical questioning around show me, tell me, what would happen if, um, rather than perhaps a little bit more solution-focused solution, solution -focused language. Um, I guess a big one has been that concept of working around principles uh, over rules. Um, so moving away from the we have to do that on that stroke, that's how it works best. Or if you keep your bow in that position around those poles, I'll try not to get too much canoeing jargon in here. Um, 
this is the best outcome, more into principles of movement, principles of search space, visual gaze, um, a lot of development into language we've started using around queuing. Yeah. Um, that's very in individual and I guess is, that's led me to better understand um, how the individual attunes to different information in the performance and how that's different between different individuals. Um, I, yeah, I was going to ask that actually because I, you know, just speaking from experience, when I, when I started doing a similar thing, um, I was amazed at what I noticed I was like, wow, I didn't realize that would work or you could do it like that. I suddenly learned loads as a coach <laughs> because I had not constrained the solution quite as much for them. So, yeah, so, yeah, so I just, uh, it was, in, you know, what I started to notice was fascinating. Mm. I think coupled to that, I'd, I'd probably add to that, Marianne, is how much you learn about how much they know and how skilled they are articulating it if you give them space to do you give, you give them space to, I guess, um, exercise their articulation of knowledge to you. Um, you know, not trying to guide, you're not trying to guide them to a solution you've already got in mind. They're actually got the freedom to talk about how they're learning, how they're moving, what they're seeing, um, what that may mean for future practice, how they might design their practice around that you kind of realize how skilled they are and how creative they are and how much you can learn from that um, rather than perhaps both of you trying to align to a solution lens that has been pre-established for, for very little reason most of the time myself <laughs> other than it's because it's what's done or it appears to be good. Um, Which may not suit them even, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, a lot about, um, I think a lot more about where I, where I view the practice from, uh, I, I seek a lot of permission. So I, you'll commonly see me at the start of practice. Where would you like me to film the performance from? What's best for you? What makes sense to the world you're seeing? And how can I support that from a like third eye perspective with this camera rather than... So I will... Yeah, you, I probably look quite lazy because I'm often, often sitting or squatting down on the riverbank trying to get a low athlete view because that seems to be one that they prefer and because that gets me closest to what they see in the information they're interpreting versus a bird's eye view, which is often often quite a different lens and you can see different affordances from, from different spaces. Well, that's, um, that, there's loads in there that, that I just think, God, I could ask a hundred questions, but we haven't got time for. And you have started sort of, pulling into sort of benefits and challenges but there's one I would like to pick up on there actually is um th this idea that you're asking them where they would like you to be and then you position yourself and 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 sort of collect the information that they would like to support their learning and I was just thinking as you said that that um you know do you find that when you ask them questions like that then they're thinking differently about the information they might want that almost that's almost a cue or a prompt for them to, to just consider differently what they want from that session. Absolutely, yeah. So that's to you. <laughs> that's probably, uh, no, I think that, that is exactly it. You know, some key questions that bring them into the intentions of the sessions. Um, so we like have highest order intentions. To go back a question, if I might sneak in there a little bit, it's like, the, the session plan is very fluid, it's very loose, but there are, 
that's not to say that we're not planned. We're, I'd say we're meticulously planned before in terms of because I have to be because of the nature of setting up the environment, a shared environment with uh, a switch on the course, switch off the course, costing hundreds of pounds. We can do a whole new podcast about that, but um, that sense of drawing them into what they're trying to do and achieve and where that fits in the bigger picture. So, um, you know, it makes sense to me that they need to know the why and how it transfers. Therefore, the re representativeness of what they're looking at here and drawing them in through questioning at the start of the session is really key. And, and it reminds me of that sense of box set coaching of where we left off last time and where we're starting this time and trying to build blocks accordingly rather than just coming in yeah, on paper or we do a lot of priming on WhatsApp and things like that around this, this space, but that sense of highest order intentions and then the session, I have to be very well planned to predict flow of the session, but not to a degree that would constrain it, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it would be, I mean, one of the things that's nice, I'm trying to share some, some session plans so that people can see what a, you know, a non-linear or constraints-led session might look like and the type of things, you know, that it is loose, a bit more principles, things that you can, you know, increase, decrease, challenge, representative stuff that you can play around with. But we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, I what, what would be nice, um, I think, just, you know, is there, if you were to think of maybe one or two um, things that you think have uh, benefited straight away, that would be great. And then, you know, are there, are there any challenges that you, you think you still face in, in, in this approach? Yeah, sure. Um, benefits, I think, if I be selfish for a moment, from a coaching perspective of being, I guess, get delving into this space has made sense of a world that I probably dared dream about but didn't commit to. Um, so be the acting on being curious has really given me a lot more confidence in, in letting go, in being creative, in not doing things because they've always been done uh, or because I want to fit in, um, being creative in that space and taking people on a journey with me. And I think that's key. So the benefits have really been co-created and that's probably one getting into top tips coming next is communicating my why. I'll, I'll follow on it a little bit as being invaluable. And so I've learned more about them. Um, they have undoubtedly become more skilled, as have I. Um, of course, the more, the more we delve into it, the more we know what we don't know. Um, but that's exciting too, so we're always filling, filling the space with new ideas. Um, I think they've become more empowered as learners and more confident in their practice. Um, very much puzzle mindsets, perhaps calmer in the exploration and definitely more adaptively reactive. So... I, I try and highlight and um, emphasize that and, and affirm that behavior by having, so I've got a very messy desktop behind this call, but um, I do have an adaptability folder that looks to celebrate sort of like, wow, how did you, how did you achieve that from there? Um, wow, I've not seen it done like that, you know, almost the impossible um, rather than the model of performance to really celebrate that so that when they're in the moment, they're not processing evaluatively they're always looking at the sense of rather than, which I still hear, which is a good challenge to move forward as a group, is I was on the wrong line, but I couldn't do anything about it. More of a sense of I am here. My intention is there. Act on the information um, and keep going through that cycle. So those have been the key benefits, I would say. Um, and also 
a curveball one for the coaching community would be made a lot of good critical friends through exploring this space. It's not a journey I've had alone. Um, and that those are really, really critical friends and mentors that, yeah, make it all worthwhile. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> On the challenge side, um, I think the biggest one is doing it authentically that I've seen across myself and others. So that that's where the why, communicating your why comes in. Like, why, why do I want to go into this space? Um, I've been openly vulnerable myself to, to go there with others and say, I don't know, but I mean... I'm curious about this. I'm inspired or intrigued by this. Um, so a couple of mistakes I've made around this space, but I've been open to feedback on and acted upon appropriately. Because when you get into this space, for example, if if you are if someone is used to doing repetition in a quite stable manner, which it never really is in air sport, but and then suddenly I am, you know, bringing in different tasks task sequences of gates or I'm constraining the use of one side of the boat or the other to afford skill thereafter in the performance um, or I'm just throwing too much at them at once. Um, I think you've got to understand the individual in front of you and this training can help do that if you provide reflective space but I've definitely what is in the words of Richard Cheatham if we think about a scale of of stretch um, what is, and we think about fancy dress, like for me, a one would be going crazy and just making myself look stupid. That's okay. To another person, it might be just changing the color of the socks might be enough of a stretch. And I think it's the same in this space. It's just gently building blocks and, and providing reflective space and being openly vulnerable to, to individualizing the practice and taking people on a journey with you. Oh, I really I love that analogy as well. That it's uh, yeah, because it, I, I, it's great. I can I can see that on one side, allowing that space and watching them is great, and you can see so much. But also, you, somebody can just feel lost if you suddenly change too many things or you challenge them in a way that they're not used to. And it's absolutely. I'll give you I'll give you a real life example that Marion. So this and this would be a benefit that I missed actually. So one of the athletes feels like we can now have more. Um, more synergy in our communication. So the particular person in question, when I almost stayed quiet, but I hadn't briefed my why of the reason why I might not be in, intervening in the performance, particularly if there's a struggle going on or sticky learning, um, then all my type of questioning, like what would happen if, um, show me this, and they didn't know the answer. They felt like it was quite, um, what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Quite, I guess... Well, they felt stupid, felt belittled, felt small because they should know the answer. And I just kept coming with the questions, yeah. but I hadn't described why I was coaching like that and why, if they agreed um, or wanted to shape it in a slightly different way, it might be useful for their long-term learning. Yeah. And I, I can see that if people have been coached um, in an environment where they think the coach does have the answer. Because if they think you do have the answer, then you asking them is setting them up, isn't it? <laughs> I've got to get it right. Whereas if they recognize you genuinely asking them because you genuinely understand you won't have their answer from their perspective and their lived experience, then it's very different, isn't it? Is that? I mean, that's a great, it's a great example of what you've just said there is, I guess, being aware of the constraints and affordances that people come into your world you know, expressing so the socio-cultural ones there where their their current experience of coaching is directive, um, you know, and very much constructivist or or, or, or 
or, or otherwise. Yeah, being aware of that and taking small steps. But equally, I don't know that I'm right. So it's and it's got to be a shared journey. And ultimately, it's their journey. They own the sport, not me. So I think it's little small steps. So I'm lucky that I'm afforded that time in the role I have. Um, because I've worked with some of the guys for a long time. So very fortunate. But yeah, affording time to understand the individual, where they've coming come from and establishing where they want to go to together is, is really critical. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, right, one last bit. Top tips. Top tips. <laughs> Top tips. Top tips for somebody who is using the constraints and approach. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, I guess collaborate would be one, both with co-coaches, learners, people from different worlds. I've learned a huge amount about this space from people in team sports, for example, be that uh, Rusty, Fletch, Danny Newcomb, um, many, many more people. Um, so I think collaborate, and there are definitely a lot, of, there is a, a lot of crossover in terms of I've sat in conferences that are designed for team sports, and my mind has just wandered into what would that mean for me in, in this individual space on the white water. Um, and it's been fascinating. And then, and they're really open to checking in on that as well. Um, but also collaborating with the learner, I think really good. That sense of co-creation, um, communicating the why is really important. I think when I started communicating this as um, why I coach the way I coach, um, the relationship shifted. It was really interesting, really shifted. And we already had very established relationships, but it did shift and added value. Um, and they became more confident and more aware um, and, and started taking ownership of their own learning a little bit more, which was always important to me. But I don't think I've provided those leadership opportunities in a, in a really positive way compared to how this line of work or line of pedagogy, I guess, um, allows you to. Um, and finally, Marianne, on that sense of collaboration, I think try and establish some critical friends like you guys at UK Coaching and Andrew have welcomed me in with open arms. And I think I know I've got people I can always sound check both within um, but more so like um, outside of my sport. Um, I know there'll always be people there to offer a, a positive critique and challenge and support me through the journey in this space because it can be, it's a thoroughly exciting one, um, but it can challenge the norms of some of the environments that you might might be in um, and therefore you can look a bit strange. <laughs> but there are people out there and I'm not saying this is the only way but I certainly definitely screen my practice and say is there a better way I could have done that in this approach to learning that I understand and can resonate with the most um, before I filter into any other sort of more guided shall we say approach yeah Brilliant. Thank you so much, Craig. I, and yeah, and it's nice to know that we're part of your critical friend. <laughs> and, and likewise. It's nice to be part of it. <laughs> you are to ours. And I, I mean, my experience is certainly, like you said, that most people in this area are actually very open to being supportive across, you know, a complete range of, hello. <laughs> a complete range of, um, of sports and, and areas. And, uh, yeah, so find find those people. I think that's uh, that is a really good um, and great top tips. And thank you so much. Um, it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> thanks for the opportunity. And um, yeah, available to yeah, connect and learn from people anytime. So if there's anything we can um, do in follow up to this, be uh, yeah more than happy to do that. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Are you, are you may well. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe I'll take you up on that. <laughs> Join us at ukcoaching.org. Whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve, we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.